Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is fantastic to see all of your friendly faces. How are you doing? Uh, last weekend should have been the Ironman World Championships in Kona, but uh, unfortunately they were cancelled due to the global pandemic. However, uh, there was plenty of Kona-specific content that went out across all the different media channels. Uh, every, I was about to say every second person, but I think every person who had ever stepped foot on the island of Kona and had been at the Ironman World Championships uh, posted something, um, you know, w- one of their memories from from their race or being there as a spectator uh, or as a media rep or as a coach, everybody was posting something on social media. It was great scrolling through um, all of, you know, say Instagram, for example, all of the feeds and, you know, just reminiscing about some really, really awesome times on the island. So there's no doubt about it. If you were a triathlete, Kona would have been appearing in your timeline at one stage over the last week. Uh, it got to a point, I had to shut it down though, because there was just so much out there. And which brings me to, you know, maybe I guess, I mean, I'd like to say the point of my ramble, but my rambles never actually have points. I don't, I don't really plan so much for these. I just, an idea pops like literally ding, an idea pops up into my head and I just have a little chat. Um, it may be because we have been in lockdown since March pretty much here in Melbourne and I'm going a little bit insane. Uh, so this is my way of um, sharing my thoughts, I guess, and hoping that someone's listening and smiling and nodding and pretending to have a conversation with me. And if that is you, I thank you. But anyway, back to my ramble. Um, you know, and particularly with this episode coming up with Lisa Bentley, got me thinking a lot. Uh, about the way we we do things with Wits Up, what I do personally. Um, and every year in Kona, uh, race week is uh, just so intense. It's, it's really full on. There's a lot of content coming out from the island. Um, and I, wanna, I wanted to ask you guys, uh, what, what kind, if you can't get to Kona, um, what kind of content would you like to see? from the island. What kind of content would you like to see from any race um, while we're on that subject? Um, As you probably know, recently we did a different style of covering a race, you know, with me sitting here in my lounge room and having different people at uh, Sunny Coast and in Cairns and we provided different race updates, um, so to speak, from those races. And, you know, they, they were a hit because, you know, we managed to give some really interesting insights with the help from Non Stanford and Belinda Granger, and that's what we managed to pull together. But let's just say we are back at races in some kind of normality. How would you like to see us covering those races? Henry! My gosh, working from home. I might leave that in because it's funny. Henry, shush! Henry um, is not a fan of other dogs and we live on a pretty busy street and people are always walking their dogs past. So typically I'll lock him up in our bedroom or outside so I can't hear him barking uh, through the microphone. But uh, today I forgot. So there you go, everyone. That is Henry Henry, um, just saying g'day to everyone out there. Uh, anyway, so have a think about it. Shoot us a message. Let us know um, what your thoughts are, opinions, uh, what you'd like to see, and not just from us, but in terms of coverage at races. Um, 
Well, you know, more behind the scenes maybe. I don't know. What would you like? Okay, moving on. Lisa Bentley, this is an amazing episode. Uh, I know I say that every single – it's like it's like The Bachelor. This is the most dramatic season ever. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, this is a great one. I felt very motivated and inspired by – well, during the conversation, but especially by the end of it. Um, and I think I mentioned it quite a few times that – on the day that I spoke to Lisa, uh, she was definitely the person I needed to speak to that day. Uh, so thank you, Lisa, and everyone out there. Enjoy this really interesting, insightful, and hopefully um, in- interesting, insightful, and inspirational. There you go. This is called the Three Eyes episode <laughs> with Lisa Bentley. Welcome to the Wits Up podcast for the first time, Lisa Bentley. Hey there. Uh, How how are you doing? I am good. I am in the nighttime. You are in the morning. We are on opposite sides of the world, but uh, I love Australia, so it just uh, feels like home that I'm speaking to you from at home. Well, I'll try and use uh, many of my Australian um, quotes, colloquial, what do you say? Is it colloquially? I can't say that word. (laughs) Your Aussie words. You're going to use your Aussie words. (laughs) <laughs> I think since doing this podcast, my pronunciation and enunciation has progressively gotten worse, and oh. it should actually be the the opposite to that. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm trying to use too many big words every now and then, and I, I stumble and uh, yeah, trip trip up on them. So yeah, I'll, I'll try my Aussie words. We'll go with that Aussie <laughs> slang. That's it. Uh, now, Lisa Bentley, we were actually just discussing before we hit record, um, and uh, th- uh, this is my little anecdote, and for those of you listening out there, um, Lisa was on the Wits Up Kona panel, I want to say maybe th- two, three years ago, was it? I can't remember now. Come well, on, Frankie, a few years Fra- ago. Frankie yeah. was tiny, tiny baby. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. So it was two two years ago. She was she would have been like seven weeks old. Yes. Yep. Yep. Teeny yep. tiny. <laughs> oh gosh. I still can't believe I went to the island when she was that young and did all that. I don't know how. But anyway, uh yes, she was teeny tiny. And uh we got some some overwhelming, incredible feedback about about you. And which I I mean I wasn't surprised about that fact because uh You've got amazing stories, but you also, you know, do motivational uh, speaking, public speaking. Um, but I think what surprised me the most was a lot of people in the audience didn't know a whole lot about you, and I feel like that was kind of it was kind of the new generation or the new breed of triathletes who didn't maybe necessarily understand a lot of the history of the sport, um, particularly with you. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I know a lot about you is you've spent a lot of time in Australia and um, you you own many an Ironman Australia title. And I don't know, that kind of sort of blew me away a little bit. Um, wh- how do you respond to that? What, what do you think that's all about? Well, you know, I've definitely done my dash at triathlon. I, I guess <laughs> I started, you know, over, you know, 31 years ago and I had a 20-year career. So I had a, a long career mm in the sport, but I've, you know, I've been away from professional sport for 10 years and 10 years is a a long time. There's a whole new crop of athletes that have come in. And uh, I I remember when I first retired and 
from professionals forward and um, I'd see someone and they'd recognize who I was, et cetera. And I remember Dave, my husband saying, that's not going to last very long. You know, (laughs) you're not going to be remembered by, you know, there's a new generation coming up and, and that's really what's happened. But um, uh, I, I think that triathlon is uh, the past is still very relevant. And uh, so it's, it's the history of it. And, and it's probably similar to the way some new athletes now might not know who Dave Scott or Mark Allen is. I mean, 20 mm. years ago, they couldn't walk down a lead drive without someone knowing them. And whereas, you know, now there would be athletes that wouldn't know them who they are. Mm. And it's just the way the sport is. And, um, and that's okay. Uh, that's why I have to keep myself relevant. And I have to keep growing as a person and, and growing, you know, now in my role as a coach. And, and I'm still learning the whole while. And it's fun learning about the new athletes. So I, um, hey, we got to keep ourselves relevant as we get older. And, and hopefully I have something to offer uh, the young generation of, of athletes and triathletes because, you know, the mind doesn't change. The races might change, but mindset and heart set, which is how you win races, that does not change. It's the, the, the conflicts and difficulties that amateur and elite athletes are having right now is nothing different from what I experienced early in my career and later in my career. So uh, I definitely love sharing my learnings because honestly there is not one situation in my career that I have not experienced so I feel very confident when an athlete says oh but what about this what if this happens what if that happens and this is so tough and this is so difficult and and I never minimize what they're going through but I share what you know what I learned and my experience and try to make it relevant to where they're at and give them strategies to deal with it so uh, no matter how old I get and how new athletes get I hope they can still call on us old birds to to help them with their decisions so that we can save them a bit of grief (laughs) and it is answers like that that had people kind of blown away with you at the panel um and I think it's like I couldn't agree with what you just said anymore I think people um, and this is absolutely no disrespect to you or the likes of Mark Allen, Dave Scott, uh, Paula Newby Fraser, any of them, that I feel like people are always looking for the new trick or the new mm-hmm. ways of doing things. And like you said, yeah, sure, racing has evolved, but and I mm-hmm. love what you said, mindset and heart set is what wins you races and makes mm-hmm. you improve not just as an athlete but as a person in general. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, that's the takeaway from it all. Like we all do sport for different reasons. And I don't think the majority of us get into the sport saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to become a triathlete or a marathon or whatever the sport is your choice. I'm going to do this sport so that I can go to the Olympics or win a world championships. I don't think people start that way. People mm-hmm. start for health, for wellness, and they want to they they want to be better they want to get better they want to evolve they want to have passion and so that doesn't really you know that doesn't change and uh yeah i mean trainings change but i it's not it's not different and it's the it's the mind the heart and and it's balancing it's learning how do i balance my training and my life with my, my real life and how do I maybe have a job and do sport and or how do I deal with 
a pandemic and not racing and you know how do i deal with all these or how how do i deal with a crisis the the ways to deal with a crisis are not a whole lot different from the ways that you deal with difficulties in racing like it's all life lessons and and so when we come out of sport when you evolve through sport you get fitter you get faster but you get smarter you get wiser you learn tactics for successful living and you learn tactics of how to deal with with life how to deal with career how to deal with disappointment how to deal with frustration how to deal with joy how to do it deal with success those are all things we learn when we're racing so yeah now you might have a gps following you everywhere yeah maybe now you've got sleep trackers and every possible tracker going in your in your life but not but the most important thing is the effort that you put out day in and day out and learning how to deal with those curveballs as well as as the joys learning how to deal with success learning how to deal with less than success learning how to deal with frustrations learning how to deal with balance and and there's no quick and easy way to learn except by doing uh see i thought we would warm up into all of this um and, <laughs> and i'd start feeling motivated uh you know after a bit of chit chat to begin with but i love that we, we just gone there straight away and i bet like people are just now tuned in we're only nine minutes in not even nine minutes in and people are tuned in and just i'm hoping smiling and nodding and agreeing with with everything that you say um and there's so many so many things i can take away with you know just this last little segment that you've you've just gone through um but one of the things that caught sort of caught my attention just then was in terms of uh i guess all the technology um mm -hmm. sleep tracker and all that kind of stuff and yep great and we can work, work with data but again it, it comes back to learnings and um data and the new the latest technology is great but what can you learn from that other than just numbers i i feel like is kind of key right mm -hmm. absolutely and and i think that's where hopefully your coach comes in is to balance the numbers with balancing it with effort and balancing it with what you got out of a particular session so you know i just find from uh, now, you know, in my coaching role, I, I didn't have to deal with it so much when I was racing because technology wasn't quite as dramatic as it is now. Now everything is tracked and measured. And, and so, you know, I see athletes workouts and I, oh, and, and, you know, they'll be, you know, letting me know about pace, et cetera. And, I, I still say to them, well, yeah, but how did it feel? Or what did you get out of it? Or was there a breakthrough? Uh, you know, what was your nutrition like? The, the data doesn't tell me how the workout went, to be quite honest. <laughs> the You're data right. is the data. But what did we do? What did you do well? What can you improve on? And, and that's the stuff that I want to hear. And it's interesting because out of, say, 10 athletes, there'll be one athlete that gives me that kind of a description that tells me, um, you know, it was a really tough day out there and I didn't really have my normal watts on the bike or my speed running, but I really worked hard. And I'm so proud of myself because there were so many times I wanted to quit and go home and I didn't. And I'm so proud of myself. And so me as a coach, I'm just like salivating hearing that because <laughs> I say to them, well, put that into your little box of tricks because 
what you did on that workout was absolutely perfect because mm. you learned how to deal with less than stellar feelings, like not feeling 100%. Mm. And that is priceless. If and if we always deal with how you know perfect, if we always if all we ever get is perfect, how do we ever deal with imperfect? And mm. I mean, nine times out of ten, your race is going to be imperfect. There's going to be little curveballs that get thrown at you, and we have to we have to be able to deal with that. So you know, one of the downsides of that is athletes want to keep seeing improvement. Improvement mm. means getting faster or more watts, etc. And you know, that's cute. I mean, improvement comes from being able to get over the hump, being able to deal with curveballs, being able to sort out your nutrition, being able to bounce back in training. And, you know, how you feel the next day is just as important as how you feel on that day. So, you know, I'm always looking, I think the story behind the workout is just as important as the watts per kilogram and the speed and the, you know, etc. And, um, you know, and I, and I find that, you know, athletes will do a run workout, for example, let's say you go up for an interval workout, which essentially means go fast, go slow, or stop. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and they'll, you know, put, you know, post their workout, and they'll have their average kilometer pace. And they'll be like, well, it wasn't really a great average kilometer pace. And I'm like, well, I don't want it to be, you know, yeah. I want the fast bits to be fast. And the slow bits, I don't, I don't care. You know, that's yeah. slow. And so I would be really happy if those fast bits were, you know, five minute kilometers and your overall run was eight minute kilometers. Fine. I don't care. <laughs> you, yeah. know, so, you know, so I'm continually telling people don't try, don't look at necessarily the average, um, you know, the average for that workout. Because in this one, I want you to go fast and slow or even just drills in the pool. So many athletes don't want to do drills in the pool because it, it ruins their average pace on their watch. Oh and, you know, so, you know, I, I guess the message is let's use some of the data, that's, but that's mm -hmm. only half the story. There's a lot more to the story. And, you know, trust your coach when they tell you to, um, to, to investigate all aspects of it, which are, which include where your mind was at, how you felt, how you pushed, what your effort was. That's just as important as the, the numbers that we see on the screen. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's one of the benefits and, um, of, of sort of balancing the data with the, with the coaching role. <laughs> Yeah, and I think uh, one of the key bits or nuggets from that is you need to trust your coach, um, mm -hmm. and and if you don't, then that relationship is never going to be uh, the best that it can be. And I've coached a few athletes in my time. I'm certainly no Lisa Bentley, uh, <laughs> but I've you know I've spent time with athletes, and I always felt that not that they didn't trust me, but uh, when they would come back with those exact sort of responses that you get, that mm -hmm. they're just so data-driven. And I'm like, mate, it it doesn't matter. Just today you're just going to get on your bike and ride. Just remember mm -hmm. why you enjoy riding, you know? Right. Yeah. And, yeah, I, um, and I feel like right now to sort of come full, full circle is – during this pandemic, when a lot of people can't race, um, I, I mean, a lot of people can't even get to races, we need to remember why we love swim, bike, yes. run. Um, and, I mean, I haven't worn a heart rate monitor or a bike computer for, for so long. I've got a $30 Casio digital watch <laughs> 
from eBay, I think it was. Um, <laughs> Uh, because I just I just sort of in, enjoy doing those activities for a while again for me. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And and there's you know I I think what I like I co- I personally coach from a place of where I always wanted to be coached, and I oh, was very fortunate. <laughs> yeah, I was very fortunate to have a great coach when I was racing, uh, Lance Watson, and of course I was racing for a long time. So I learned a lot, and I also learned what I what I needed as an athlete. And one of the things I found I needed as an athlete was sometimes I needed to know when it was going to be hard. And like I had, you know, so you know the days where you just got to push, and it's going to feel terrible, and you're not going to go fast, and you just got to go and do it and be and be tough and be resilient. So when I'm writing training for athletes, I will, you know, often say, you're, you know, you should feel really sharp for this, this should feel really good. And you know, you should finish this feeling like you could do another rep. And then there'll be the workouts where, yeah, this is hard. When I say goes faster, it means just don't go the same pace as before. Just do what you got, smell the roses, and be the best that you can be with the the body you have because you're probably going to be tired today. If you're not, great, but I think you'll be tired today. And yeah. um, and I think that that's a really important part, or you know, certainly an important part for athletes to embrace. And maybe they need to ask, say to themselves before they go out the door, you know, I'm tired today. I would like to not do this workout today that I scheduled for me. But I'm going to do it with a grain of salt. Like being, I'm going to be nice to myself, and mm-hmm. I'm going to just do the best that I can. And I, I often say to to athletes, whether I'm speaking to them as just um, a, a person, hopefully sharing some information, or as a coach, that one of the most important things is for someone to be their own biggest fan. And uh, whether you're an athlete or you're a career person or a parent. There's so many times that you can get down on yourself uh, for for something. You know, I didn't run fast enough, bike fast enough, swim fast enough, or I yelled at my child today. I shouldn't have lost my temper, or oh, that proposal I wrote for my boss really wasn't my best work. Okay, fine, acknowledge, but you know, there's there's hundreds of ways to be good, and we have to just be as good as we can be. But be your own biggest fan. And so find good in everything that you do. So, well, I did my best at that proposal. I did my best next time I'll do better. Or I, I'm just happy I'm not laying on the couch. At least I'm going out running. So there's got to be a benefit in that. So, yeah, I just, um, I really think the effort side of, of, of things is, is really important. And the data is there. It's a good reminder of things. It's good to keep us on track. I, I mean, I, I see my data um, for a variety mm-hmm. of things, but I always... You know, at the end of my career, I, I got an SRM, which was a power meter in the old days, and I w- raced with it, but I would cover up the numbers. I didn't want to see the numbers. Like, the work was done. Why? Mm. I'm not going to evaluate myself during a race. Like, I'll evaluate <laughs> myself after the race. The evaluation, you know, like, it's like school. The There's a final exam. That's the Hawaii Ironman. Every day you go to school you're supposed to make mistakes. You're supposed to learn. You're supposed to evaluate. You get things right. You get things wrong. You get things half right. You get things half wrong. That's training. That's day to day. 
So let's gather the data. Let's evaluate day to day. Sure, look at numbers, look at heart rate, look at feeling, look at attitude. We do all that constructive work day to day. But on the day of the race, I I better have learned something. (laughs) And so hopefully I don't have to rely on my SRM, et cetera. Um, And so that was how I raced best. But that, again, that comes from me from from less of a technology base. But I... I wanted to just go by effort a lot of the time. And uh, I did wear a heart rate monitor when I raced, but I used to wear it. So I'd make sure I went hard enough. <laughs> Not so I wouldn't, ah. wouldn't go too hard. <laughs> so I'd look at my heart rate and, and try to push harder. So I'd go harder. Oh, funny. Do you know, I don't think I've <laughs> ever heard anyone refer to race day as an, as the exam at the end of a school year. And it's a great, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great um, way of looking at it. But I've never heard that before. So there you go. <laughs> Here I am learning new stuff. <laughs> um, hey, I want to, first of all, thank you for talking to me today. You are the exact person I needed to talk to today. Um, <laughs> but everything that you've just said, and I think my favourite thing so far is be your own biggest fan. Uh, mm-hmm. And I personally needed to hear that today. So thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, I want to go back to... Actually, how would you describe yourself right now in terms of what you do in this world, your, I guess, your occupations, plural, and then I'm going to follow on from that. (laughs) Jeez, well, I... (laughs) I do a lot of different things, although less things this year since March. Than most times. Uh, I guess I'd like to think that I am a bit of a a bit of a life coach. I'm certainly an athletic coach, but in terms of my speaking, I feel like I take on a role a bit more of a life coach. And even when I'm being an athlete coach, I am in a sense, being a life coach, because I think there's just so many lessons, uh, life lessons in sport, to be honest. Uh, so I feel like that's something that I do. I just, I, I feel like I'm a share of, a share of experience. Uh, and I, I really feel like racing Ironman just taught me so much and helped me in so many ways. And that doesn't mean that I don't need help now because I certainly do and the pandemic certainly uh, magnifies all of our weaknesses and it has mine as well uh, but I I kind of sometimes take a step back and, and look at my weaknesses and I think how can I how can I fix those and and as as I try to investigate that I just learn more and more and more so uh, I guess I'm a learner <laughs> I'm always <laughs> learning lifelong learner uh, but um, yeah I, I, I just uh, I don't know I feel like I'm I just do a lot of different things, uh, but you know, right now, mainly coaching, uh, doing some life coaching, speaking uh, virtually, not in person. Mm-hmm. And um, but uh, one thing that's I'm an entrepreneur. I guess that's the best word to <laughs> to say. And I, I I say that jokingly because for the last six months since we've been basically locked down, I I've looked at the pandemic as an opportunity. And Mm. now that doesn't mean that I haven't been sad and I haven't been grieving the loss of all the things that I love to do. Mm -hmm. But I know from racing that whenever there's adversity, there's opportunity. Mm -hmm. And this pandemic is adversity. And so when it came to be, I 
I just knew there was going to have to be good that came out of it. it um, worldwide, global good, of course. But, you know, as we come down into the, it's, it's uh, the tiniest part, for each person, there has to be good come out of it. And so really, honestly, since the, for the last six months, I've been everybody's biggest pain because all I keep doing is recreating jobs for people. <laughs> like I keep ah. coming up with ideas basically every day for people. Like, you know what? You would be really good at doing this. And, oh, you would be really good at doing this because I see people's lives being turned upside down. And so I feel like I've been obsessed with recreating purpose, not just for myself, but for other people. So you know, for myself, I keep coming up with things to do. And I'll, I mean, thank God I've got Dave, my husband. So I'll throw an idea at him. He's like, that's a bad idea. And I'm like, okay, I'll move on. And you know, so then I, I think of something else. And I mean, certainly, because I can't speak to groups anymore in person, I've changed to be speaking in virtual form. And so that's taken on its own um, little life. And, you know, just thinking about I've been able to put time into other uh Mm-hmm. avenues that I, I was too busy to do before. So I see that as a, a benefit of the pandemic. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I just know that I, somebody said this, it's not my own words, but a problem is a terrible thing to waste. And Ooh, I like that. Yeah, it's a good one. And I think it was Peter Diamantis that said that. And I, you know, so I've been reading a lot. I've been um, reading inspirational things from other people. Uh, to get my own self inspired. And so I'm just determined that coming out of this, there will be good. And uh, for myself, for others, and like, I just see it as a time to take on projects. I can't even remember what our original question was. Oh, you're asking me what I do. So yeah, basically, I'm, I'm entrepreneuring for everybody else, including myself. And uh, uh yeah, I'll, I, I, it's, it, whenever someone says, hey, Lisa, I've got this idea, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And, and then I think, I'm going to take that on. And then I kind of self-correct myself. And, and I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's such a good idea to take on. But I, I, I get so excited. Uh, and I do some work with some of the races here in Ontario. I don't own them. I just work with them. And the poor guys that own it, I've been basically saying, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Um, we have like a women's only race called Iron Girl. And basically every race was canceled. And, um, but the iron girl one really stood out to me. Um, My um, tri-sport did not put on virtual races. They, it was just so difficult. It was so early on that they decided that, you know, there was nobody, no one was swimming. Like, how are we Mm going to do a triathlon? It was very difficult. Anyway, we had the iron girl race, which is in August. And um, again, I, as I said, I only work with them. I'm, I don't own at all. And I said, you know, I really think we need to do like a, a, a do-it-yourself iron girl because these poor women that typically do our race, like this is their self-esteem boost. This mm-hmm. is their energy-producing event. This is like their day. And now these poor women have been homeschooling their kids. They've been working from home. Like, let's just give them an out. And so we ended up doing a, a virtual do-it-yourself Iron Girl race. And that was sort of my my pet project. That was one of my little pet projects this summer. But nice. um, yeah, so always, uh, you know, yeah, I'm always recreating, trying to trying to dream up something new. So I guess I'm a dreamer. Yeah. There you go. Okay. <laughs> so we've got dreamer, entrepreneur, learner. I like it. <laughs> These are all great, great uh, positive words. And I, I love that um, – 
you know, it's interesting, you know, because a lot there's a lot of motivational quotes and motivational people out there doing their thing, and that that's all great. Um, but what you said was, uh, you haven't you haven't been that person the entire time throughout this pandemic. You've mm-hmm. you've felt sad and felt a sense of loss throughout certain periods, and I'm sure you'll probably feel them a little bit again. You know, mm-hmm. moving forward mm-hmm. at certain stages, mm-hmm. uh, and I I just can't help but feel like they're they're really important to mm-hmm. acknowledge as well, so that then you can move forward um Mm -hmm. i've kind of had this whole thing of just sitting in the shit for a while but you have to and then Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm coming out of a really dark kind of sense of loss um Mm -hmm. and i feel like the old stuff is starting to return a little bit and i'm seeing Mm -hmm. opportunities and um Mm -hmm. ideas being created from you know being you know forced to slow down or look at things Mm -hmm. from perspective um and for me personally and even with wits up that's probably something that we we needed in Mm -hmm. order to change and evolve um Mm -hmm. in you know for the next 10 years yes yeah i mean you look at where you came from i mean i remember you i don't know how many years ago now as the you know the one woman team that was basically a voice and advocate for women in triathlon and you were there no fanfare there were no hats there were no logos it was, mm-hmm. well, maybe you had a t-shirt, but <laughs> you know, you were doing it all. And uh, I, I, I think it was probably Ironman Australia and you were in the press room and you were, you ha- you were running the camera and the voice and, and you may still all do all those things now, but you were like basically a one woman crusader. And that's, there's a rush to that. Like that's a rush when you totally. are breaking through and then you, then you, your success just snowballed without I mean, I'm not going to say without too much effort, but it just kind of fell at you. Like you just kept rolling with it without having to really think too much about it, except do I book a flight or not? And Mm. who do I interview or not? And now we're stuck in a a time where there's no, I mean, there's really no product, there's no productivity. You can't create races. So Mm. now this incredible surge of adrenaline, which you have been feeling for the last many years has come to whoa like whoa and it's almost like and you you like I'm just putting I'm actually almost projecting myself onto you is that you know when I was racing there's nothing like running down a finish line I mean if you're lucky enough to win that's its own special miracle and sensation but to finish an Ironman to finish an event to finish a goal and to finish on top and to hear people cheering that rush is incredible and so I remember I would sometimes sit down and with my husband and say what what do we do for a holiday or what do we do for fun and then we do something and it was kind of a little bit of fun And it'd be like, well, like, it's kind of hard to, like, it's kind of hard to compete with running down a finish line and breaking a finish line tape. Like, there's not too much that's a lot more fun than that. Like, that's pretty fun. And, you know, that's, so, you know, for, for professional athletes leaving careers, like now you're not, no one cares. Like you're not running down a finish line anymore. What's your cheer of the crowd going to be? And your cheer of the crowd is what you do. And what you have been doing, my cheer of the crowd is was racing. It's now evolved into speaking or the joy I take in my athletes accomplishing their dreams 
I take, you know, that for me is a huge rush. Well, now we're stuck in this six month crisis and we have to, you know, we have to have a rush from something (laughs) and, and the rush and it's almost reestablishing what that rush is. Like now my enjoyment, like I get so much enjoyment from my dogs, like huge enjoyment and walking them and making them happy and playing with them and laughing at them and, and, you know, or, or going to visit my mother, like the incredible joy of seeing my 86 year old mother and seeing her smile or bring her joy. It's almost like now I've, I've had to find a replacement for that, that joy that I would have gotten from my athletes racing or my own speaking or my own racing. We have to find a replacement. And so, yeah, I feel like, um, that's sort of what these this time you know so yeah there are sad times because boy we're used to we're used to some pretty great adrenaline rushes <laughs> and now the big adrenaline rushes is, is you know you you in melbourne you get to go outside for two hours a day yeah. that's your adrenaline rush and before you were flying halfway around the world mm. <laughs> so yeah it's yeah. interesting it's a huge reframing process but uh, i remember when it started I, I've been trying very hard to keep my athletes motivated through all this. And so I would try to think up things for them and uh, our ideas. And I remember saying to them that the resiliency and the problem solving that you will be learning over the next several months when there are no races is going to be just as beneficial Mm. as that hard 10 K or that 90k hard ride or whatever like the we we miss the intensity of exercise at that level of racing but don't ever discount the intensity of the resiliency and problem solving you're learning right now cuz that is going to get you to the finish line next year cuz you're going to say to yourself no I'm not going to quit cuz last year all I wanted to do was race and I wasn't allowed to race and so right now yeah my tongue's hanging down to the ground and I'm completely dehydrated and my muscles are failing me, but I'm going to finish this darn race because all I wanted to do for the last 12 months was race. Mm. And that is worth its weight in gold. Uh, yep. Um, <laughs> I do, I'm just sitting here. Like I'm really nodding really hard to the point that it's hurting my <laughs> neck because you're just nailing it. You just, like mm. I said, you're the exact person I was meant to speak to today. <laughs> Um, and again, thank you. Um, purely from a racing point of view, I'm really interested to see how different athletes have evolved when we get back to racing at a world championship level or, you know, at a, you know, a really high level, how have those athletes evolved and learnt about themselves during this time? Because I think a lot of them, if they take this as an opportunity, Mm-hmm. can you know come back better than they ever imagined uh because mm-hmm. they have learned a lot about themselves um from the from the um the mindset and the heart set mm-hmm. i agree and i remember saying to some athletes this year that the the cream's gonna rise to the top that's mm-hmm. that's what happens when there's adversity the real champions get over it and they find success and mm-hmm. so there will be some athletes that that and not that it's wrong, but decided not to continue or may have decided to take a break and everything's right, right for the right for for their right reasons. So no discredit to that. But I think the athletes that said, okay, well, you know, this is the year I've been doing Ironman training for a long time, I'm going to work on my my 10k race pace, my running pace, 
I'm going to work on my uh, getting a really fast 90k bike ride. So kind of going back to uh, reverting from the survival mode, say of Ironman to really honing that threshold level and really um, increasing their ability to work hard at shorter yeah. distances. And, and so athletes that pivoted and did things like that, and many, many have, uh, they will have breakthroughs next year for sure. And they'll just be so proud of themselves. So, you know, they'll be like, this isn't hard. You know, this racing isn't hard at all. What was hard was being quarantined for two months and not leaving my property. You know, mm. back in back in the early days in, in some countries in Europe, I mean, goodness me, like they could not leave their property. And yeah. I mean, the Jan Ferdino Ironman on the spot, basically, uh, mm. the, the, the treadmill marathon and the... Uh, Wahoo, 180k like that is unreal, yeah. and yeah. and that, I mean that, I I think that performance on that day will is far superior to any. Uh, I mean, he will have gotten so much more out of that than out of any real race with a medal and a finish line. To be fair, that's life changing, and he changed lives because he raised so much money. I mean, that is. That is the essence of this pandemic. It's like turning turning a negative into a positive. Not only did he do an event for his own heart and soul, which shows you the kind of athlete he is. That's why he's a champion. That is yeah. why he's a champion. But then he used his talent to raise money for frontline workers. I mean, yeah. you know, there he's going to heaven already. You know, like that <laughs> is that's what it's all about. And yeah. we all, you know, there's still time. The pandemic's still here. <laughs> Oh, get after it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, anyone listening, Jan Fredino improving on Jan Fredino <laughs> is a very scary thought for his competitors. <laughs> My yeah, goodness, awesome. yeah. amazing. This episode is brought to you by our very own Witsub Patron members who help us to continue to bring you fantastic content and inspiring and powerful narratives of women within our sport. So if you want to help us continue to do what we do, consider becoming a Witsup Patron member. Uh, just click the link in the description of this episode on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast or simply head to patreon.com slash wits up that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash wits up and if you don't know how to spell wits up then you're in trouble um hey i want to just wind the clock back a little bit um and anyone who is listening to this is within two minutes of listening to you will have picked up just how insightful and motivational you are but what I want to know is, at what point did you recognize that in yourself? Uh, that, and you've then, I guess, you know, transformed that into a, a career after your uh, racing career. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it certainly wasn't right away. And that's why I was glad I had 20 years in the sport because I had a lot to learn. Uh, but, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I mean, I was always definitely always a hard worker. And um, I... I was always uh, very motivated. So I was, you know, I worked hard in school. I I wanted to get good grades. I wanted to get a scholarship. So the work ethic was their um, baseline for sure. And uh, I was an overachiever as a student before I was an overachiever at sports. So that was sort of baseline. But I, I, I worked hard, really hard. And then when I ended up doing sports, I worked hard. And I was 
as a, as a grade schooler, I was told, you know, I, I wanted to be an athlete, like, oh, you know, I want to be an athlete. And my track coach said one day when I said, oh, I love being an athlete. And he said, well, you know, you're, 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 you're active, but you're not really an athlete. And <laughs> so, you know, I, I never forgot that clearly, because I'm saying yeah. it now 40 years later. And yep. so, you know, essentially, I worked hard, but didn't have a whole lot of talent. And I, I know that I had a little bit of talent, but I, I don't have the Jan Ferdino, Simon Whitfield talent. Um, n- no way. I worked hard. And so I, you know, I did, I did, you know, took up triathlon because I was an injured runner and I worked hard and I loved it and I embraced it and I wanted to do well. And, you know, I was always just taught to do my best at things that was what was most important to my parents is to do my best so it wasn't about winning necessarily but doing my best I always wanted to improve and I think as I progressed and I I had some success and I was now competing at a higher level and I had to learn how to deal with disappointment and I think I just really I, I realized how much thought and mind and heart went into Ironman and I wanted to learn more about it and so I was re- you know I would read books and I remember reading um, Norman Vincent Peale's book, and although I can't remember the title right now, but I probably read it about fifty times. I'm not joking. I would read it before <laughs> every single race, and it uh, it was called the Power of Positive Thinking. And I would underline and I would make notes, and it, it gradually my my mindset adapted. And I was like, Yeah, you're right. Like, how can you go into a difficult event with negative thoughts? That's kind of like saying I'm going to pick up the kitchen table with my pinky finger. Like you can't go into a difficult event half with half of your your attitude. You, the attitude has to be all there, all there. And if there's even one percent of doubt in your mind, you failed. And so I went about developing that kind of a mindset. And it had to, you know, it couldn't be dictated to me by Norman Vincent Peale. I had to make it realistic for me, and I had to embrace it. And some of the, I mean, probably the two impactful things for me uh, were first of all, the fact that I have cystic fibrosis. And, um, you know, that's a genetic lung disease, Mm. which, um, you know, not a great thing to have a lung disease when you're (laughs) trying to use your lungs to be a professional athlete. And (laughs) for several, you know, I I am fortunate to have good health, largely good health because of sport. But for many years, uh, early in my career, the media wanted to talk about the CF. And, you know, I really wasn't comfortable talking about it. I was more trying to avoid it. And I also didn't want to become that, that sad story. Oh, Lisa Bentley has cystic fibrosis. Oh, by the way, she finished fourth. I didn't want it to be about that. I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, earn my accolades as an athlete without the asterisk. I didn't want, oh, Lisa had a chest infection. That's why she finished 10th. No, no, no. I finished 10th because I finished 10th. And right. if I get on the start line, I get on the start line. I'm like nobody. I'm like everybody else. So there's no asterisks. There's no excuses. This yeah. is who I am. So for many years, I dodged the CF question. And then, you know, I think in reading in, in trying to figure out my mindset for racing, I needed I realized I needed more purpose than winning races or making um, making money. There had to be more to it. Like Ironman is too hard to just want to win and make money way too hard. And so I realized that my purpose was, um, you know, I found that really cystic fibrosis was my, my superpower, in a sense. And in that, 
I, I hadn't realized it until I met this family from New Zealand and they, the kids had CF, Cameron and McKenna, and I met them and I, the mom sought me out. And I, I thought to myself after I met with them and had a, an hour long chat, I realized, wow, you know, like they, their, their mother sees hope in me. Like she mm. sees what I'm doing and says, my children, Cameron and McKenna, are going to be like Lisa one day. They are going to be able to thrive like her. And I started realizing that it didn't matter that, you know, really I'm, I'm f- very healthy. And there so many people with CF are very, very sick. I mean, the median mm. age of survival in 1980 was 12. Um, it's much oh, better wow. than that. It's much better than that now. It's 50 yeah. now. Um, but I mean, it's a, it's a, d- a deadly disease. And, uh, but, you know, if you, if you have a child born with cystic fibrosis and you find out that there's this person racing Ironman Australia and has cystic fibrosis, you're saying, hey, you know, my kid's going to be just like her. And mm. when I realized that that was happening, mm. that's an incredible power. So that was a huge mindset adjustment for me every time I towed the line in Ironman. And it's a long enough day that if you have one, one tiny bit of purpose beyond win, place, or show, mm. you're, you're going to have an amazing day. So there's no question that CF, while it is a lung disease, enabled me to far surpass my talent and race wow. beyond my means. There is no question what I was able to do in the race largely stemmed from that. And, and then the other, uh, the other very important contribution to developing a mindset, um, a champion's mindset, in a sense, was uh, Father Tony, who uh, was a priest in Foster Tunkery. So I would go to Ironman Australia to race. Mm-hmm. And it's a long way from home. And there were a lot of tears. <laughs> there's a lot of tears on that plane, because I have a huge attachment to family and home. And, and so what I would do is just like I'm doing in the pandemic right now, for me, that flight was the pandemic, I would I I would be very sad and I knew that I would be. And I knew when I got to my destination, I would have to find joy and I would have to find family and I would have to make my little apartment, my five day apartment or whatever, however long I'd be there. I, I would have to make that my home and I would have to make the people that I saw my family. And so when I got to Foster Tongue Curry, it was actually an Easter weekend and I found the Catholic church I'm Catholic and met Father Tony, and he basically, him and the congregation, they, you know, I was like the, the Canadian, you know, coming in to do the mm-hmm. Ironman, and I was just embraced by by the people there, and, um, you know, when I'm here in Canada, I don't go to church every day, I go to church on Sunday, but when I was mm-hmm. in Foster Tongue Curry, I went to church every single day, I just, I made my family happen, and then, you know, one of the reasons probably Ironman Australia became such an important event for me is because, I loved everybody. Like that was my family when I got there with the people walking down the street, the other competitors, and I just embraced it all. And so that um, feeling of faith and, and just, you know, really, it was almost like a retreat for me when I go to, to an Ironman race and I would have so much self-discovery. So those are my weapons really. And I just was so determined to find joy. And so when I raced an Ironman, it, um, it was an opportunity for me to learn and to grow and to be my best. And 
So it was so much more than about racing. And, and that's how the mindset really got developed. And I was absolutely determined to love what I did. And so if that meant, you know, talking to strangers walking down the street, that's what I did. <laughs> so, and, and, and yeah, so I um, basically developed that mindset to love where I was at, love what I was doing, love my competitors. I loved everything. And I would go in with that, that feeling of love when I raced. And I even embraced the fact that I had CF, like I said. And it became my weapon because I had far greater pur- purpose than anybody I was competing against. And that is a huge weapon when you're, when you're racing and you're tired. Wow. That's <laughs> so interesting. And uh, interesting that as, as well, you can kind of compare that the flights to the pandemic at the moment uh, and then finding your family at the other end, uh, mm. which brings you the joy. And I feel like that's, that's what's absolutely missing during this mm-hmm. pandemic at the mm-hmm. moment is uh, f- for me personally, and I don't mean to compare myself to a professional athlete such as yourself, mm-hmm. but essentially I would travel the globe and go to mm-hmm. races and meeting up with people. You know, Kona every year mm-hmm. is the same t- at the same place that I see the same people each year, but I only ever see mm-hmm. them once a year. And mm-hmm. that's what I miss the most. Yeah. I guess at the moment is my extended family of friends that I don't get to see this year. And, you know, yes, there's other ways to connect, but I think that's the Mm -hmm. biggest thing for me right now, for sure. Yeah. That's hard. And for, you know, Hawaii now, obviously I don't compete anymore, Mm -hmm. but we, we made a decision a few years ago that, I mean, and I do, I do do some sponsorship work there and I do some work from Subaru there. So yes, I have roles there, but even Mm -hmm. before those roles, Dave and I said, you know, when we go to Hawaii, it's like a family reunion for us. Like that's just going to be our family reunion. And, you know, so, and and yeah, we miss that. We certainly miss it. And and the benefit that's going to come of it is we're going to cherish it even more in 2021 when we get back to it. And, um, and I, and I look forward to that as well. Uh, It's funny. I kind of miss I love being at home, but I would mm. often have little 24 to 36 hour trips to, to do speaking or to do coaching or to do stuff. And those are gone now. And it's like, you know, I just feel like I need like 24 to 36 hours, like not necessarily away from home, but just like out of my routine. I'm such a routine creature of habit. I'm so routine oriented. So like yeah. now I'm just stuck in this seven month routine, which I have a fine routine. I like it, but it's, but I almost need someone to just shake me and say, just because you're not leaving home doesn't mean you have to do the same thing every day. Oh my, that's what I feel like doing to my husband every single day. You don't, you don't need to be at the playground at 9.32 every day. It's okay. <laughs> Actually, I probably need to say that to Frankie as well because she's probably, you know, looking at the clock going, come on, let's go. It's uh, swing and slide time right now. Uh, <laughs> Just because I haven't actually even mentioned this yet, you know, we've alluded to the to the fact that uh, you were very successful at Ironman Australia. But in case anyone doesn't know, you actually won there five five times in a row, wasn't it? Is that right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that was was that all at Foster? That wasn't actually in Port mm-hmm. Macquarie. That was before it moved, right? No, I think I think it's either three in Foster and two in Port Macquarie. I think it was two ah. in Port Macquarie, or it might have been two and three, but I, I definitely did a few, had a few wins in Port Macquarie. Um, yeah. And I love that town too. I, I it, you mm-hmm. know, you just evolve with it. At first it was like, oh my gosh, we're moving. But Port Macquarie was amazing as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you've had, I mean, you've had success on this, you've had success all over the planet, but I'd like to say on this side of the world, <laughs> you know, Australia, New Zealand, you've had some some pretty good uh, victories. Yes, I, I love it over there. And Dave, my husband, was a resident of New Zealand for 10 years. And oh, I didn't know he, that. Yeah, and he actually he handed me the Canadian flag on my first Ironman win at Ironman New Zealand, and we did not know each other at all. Nor Stop did it. we meet. No joking. It's on ESPN. <laughs> oh, my God. That is awesome. Hang on. Okay, so he, he was a Canadian living in New Zealand at the time that you raced? Yes, yes. Yes. And, and we, sorry, you, you tell the story. We, we didn't know <laughs> each other. We didn't know each other at all. I, uh, I had heard his name before, and I guess, you know, he may have heard my name before, but he was there. He taught um, phys ed at St. Kennegan's College in New Zealand in Auckland, and I guess he was there. With, he was like the triathlon coach, and he may have brought some people to watch. Anyways, he said, I think the Canadian's going to win the race. I got to get a Canadian flag, and he passed me the Canadian flag. And then got it back at the finish line. We never met. I don't remember meeting him anyway. And then uh, that was the year 2000. And that was my first Ironman win. And then two years later, he moved back to Canada. And then I met him two years later. So it's quite a fun story. Oh, my gosh. It's very serendipitous. Right? Yes. <laughs> and then how did you meet in back home in Canada? Well, he, his mom and dad lived five kilometers from where I lived. And... <gasps> Yeah. And somebody, we had a mutual friend named Grant McKee and Grant McKee said, Oh, David Cracknell is going to be moving home from New Zealand. I've had his bike box stored in my garage for the last 10 years. I'm giving it to you because he only is going to live 5k away and he can come pick it up. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, whatever. And so that was it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and then we became friends and um, we were probably friends for a year and a half and and then it kind of just evolved from there. My goodness, there's a rom-com <laughs> movie in the making about this. Let's <laughs> let's talk to some big name producers in Hollywood. I like what a what a great rom-com. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty exciting. And then we were supposed to get married um, th uh, on the Wednesday after the Hawaii Ironman. So it was the year 2005, and our wedding date was set for the Wednesday, October the 19th. Uh, but so two weeks before the race, I got this pain in my side and didn't know what it was, but I thought, oh, I just have a bit of a flu. And then it kind of got worse and did go to a doctor and they wanted me to have a CAT scan. I'm like, well, that's not really good mental prep for the Hawaii Ironman in 36 hours. And they were like, you can't race. You've got a fever. And I'm like, I just want to give it my best. I can do, I just do my best. And so I got on antibiotics, got into the race, didn't feel great. Um, but you know, when you're really fit, you can kind of fake things a bit, but then you get on that, on that darn queen K on the marathon. You can't fake it too much anymore. Um, but anyways, I, I wasn't able to finish. I got to 10 miles in the marathon and Dave actually touched me to the squall by me. And, uh, I ended up, I had a burst appendix and had it oh out God. the next day. <laughs> so I had it out the next day. So Sunday and I, we were meant to get married on Wednesday. And so I remember negotiating as I did yep. with the doctors. So the doctors say, uh, you've got a burst of panic, so you need to have surgery. And I said, how long am I going to be in the hospital for? And they were like three or four days. I said, does today count? And, <laughs> and I said, because I'm getting married Wednesday. And they said, I think you better be quiet now. And I said, is there oh, any chance of getting married Wednesday? And they said, I don't think so. 
And that was like, that was it. So that I was had my surgery and I was in the hospital till Thursday. So the wedding day was null and void on Wednesday. And um, uh, I got out of the hospital Thursday feeling terrible uh, because it had to drain. It had perforated. So I had to have a drain in me for a few days. Mm. And the uh, minister that was marrying us came from New Zealand. So, you know, we had people from New Zealand and Australia and like family, you know, a few close people and everyone was leaving the island. And Dave said to me on Thursday, he said, do you think you could get married tomorrow? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I said, well, if my dress fits, and it was just like a loose fitting dress, if my dress fits, I'll do it. And if I can get my hair done. (laughs) And so we kind of had a very quick wedding on the Friday. But, uh, you know, that's sort of been the story of our life is kind of defying odds. And um, yeah, that's that's it. So we got married two days later. We weren't going to let our appendix get in our way. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, you're hilarious. (laughs) Uh, what a story I can't believe I didn't know that part of the story I did I you know I I know your career reasonably well but I did not know that that's amazing (laughs) yeah it's good fun so whenever we have a fight we just have to think back to the flag to the appendix to making it work it's like okay listen we've been through all that I think we can get over the um you know whatever fighting about who walked the dogs this morning oh gosh (laughs) far out Wow. Um, I hope you don't mind, but I do want to go back to um, CF, cystic fibrosis, uh, because um, one, of, one of my mates has got a, a daughter who's got CF and she, uh, well, their whole family was really quite heavily impacted by um, uh, the coronavirus in terms of mm-hmm. being quite scared, especially early on because um no one truly knew what it was. I still think people mm-hmm. are learning about what this uh, virus is daily. Uh, mm-hmm. And they they had to take a lot of precautions to make sure that they weren't in any kind of contact with anyone who could potentially have it and pass it on to their daughter, mm-hmm. uh, which meant that both daughters, um, you know, had to stay home from school very early on mm-hmm. um, so that the family, like no one in the family could, could get it. So... Yeah. On and please excuse my ignorance because I don't know the. Do, do we say do we say condition disease? What what do you what's the right yeah, terminology? Disease, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. So in terms of obviously, there's such a variety or a scale um of um levels of CF in in different mm-hmm. people, but compared to say that, and she's completely fine by the way, like nothing bad has happened at all. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's a little boss. She's a a little champion. And I'm, I can't wait to tell her mum about our chat and make sure that Mm -hmm. she listens to it because I'm sure it will have a great effect on positive effect on their family. Um, Mm -hmm. But I guess in comparison to her, where do you sort of sit, (coughs) sit on the scale these days? And has it, has it changed over time? Like your level of, I don't know, um, how much it affects your day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. So basically, yeah. certainly my um, genetic, it's a, it's a genetic disease. So my genetic mutation right. is there's different ones. And some people have a very um, uh, strong case of CF and, and some people have less severe symptoms. So I definitely mm-hmm. fall under less severe symptoms. And when I would get sick, I would 
you know, it, that wasn't so great. I would get a lot of antibiotics and I would be sick for a long time. And, you know, there's no common cold in my vocabulary. So when I get sick, it's a heavy dose of antibiotics, which lasts two to three weeks. And then there's the recuperation from getting over those antibiotics. Right. And um, so that was reoccurring throughout my career. But the the good thing was that I responded to the antibiotics. And so there were several times that I raced and I was on a heavy dose of, of one of the favorite ones, which is called ciprofloxin. Um, and ironically, ciprofloxin does cause Achilles tendon rupture. And I have what? since had a, <laughs> it's, it's true. And I have since had Achilles surgery. So that's not a joke. Um, that I, I had two very bad Achilles the whole time I was racing, uh, wow. largely largely due to an antibiotic that I took. Um, the other side effect of cystic fibrosis is that you sweat out more sodium, which again is not helpful ah. when you race in Hawaii. So that no. was why Hawaii was always a bit of a balancing act for me uh, because of the sodium. And, um, you know, ironically, I also found out that people with CF are more prone to have a you know, a, an appendix, a, a burst appendix, which I ended up getting. Now, those are just like periphery things. But mm -hmm. in general, um, you know, throughout my career, yes, I raced sick. But the thing with me was I did respond to antibiotics, and I would get better. In, in the later stages of my career, my last year, in fact, I, I was probably the least well, and I had more CF um, related illnesses. And so there's a really bad bacteria in CF called Pseudomonas. And I always had it on and off. And it's a really smart bacteria, it kind of sits there. And you throw the antibiotic at it. And you know, for 10 years, you kill it. And then in the 10th year, it gets really smart, and it disguises itself. And all of a sudden, the antibiotic can't kill it anymore. And then they have to throw different antibiotics at it. So at, when I was in my last year of racing, uh, the my my um, my antibiotic um, antibiotic response uh, was not as good, and so I kept getting pseudomonas over and over and over again. And so I was getting a lot of different antibiotic remedies for it. And what happens when you can't kill it is your ability to use your lungs—it's called a lung function—deteriorates. Mm -hmm. So typically, when I was healthy, my lung function was a hundred percent. Whereas like someone with CF, with bad CF, their lung function wouldn't be 100%. But when I was healthy, not unwell, my lung function was 100%. Right. And in my last year of racing, it, I got sick. So it would go down to 70, fine. But it would usually bounce back up. Well, mm -hmm. no, it went down to 65. And then it went down to 60. And then by the end of my racing, my last race, um, actually my last race, it was 70% which is not great when you're racing as a professional to have 70% mm. lung function. Uh, and I remember the CF clinic saying, you know, like you can race, but you're not very well. I'm like, well, you know, my whole career has been about embracing who you are and accepting mm. who you are. And, uh, you know, I would be doing a disservice to people with CF if I said, I can't race just because I'm not at my best. And if I'm not gonna do any damage, I'm gonna go and do my, the last race of my career. And I did. And I raced Subaru Ironman 70.3 Muskoka, and, and that was my last race. Mm -hmm. And from that race, uh, I then had to do a course of um, steroids, which I had never done before, prednisone. So um, mm -hmm. that's for in, uh, anti as an anti-inflammatory. And I'd never taken any, which is obviously why I stopped racing, because I knew yeah. I had to throw that at it. And um, 
and uh, that that didn't work. And so then they threw some different antibiotics at it. And finally, I was put in the hospital and put on intravenous. Um, and I was on intravenous for five weeks. So it took oh, a wow. long time to get better. And even when I got off intravenous, so by the time I went on intravenous, my lung function was 55%. And when you think about you have two lungs, so one lung is 50%. So that's what we're talking about in terms of decline. Uh, so when I went on intravenous, my lung function was 55%. When I came off intravenous after five weeks, it was only at 70%. And, um, you know, they still like they, my doctors just don't accept that. And I was more like, let me out of here. Like I'm done. And, yeah. um, anyways, it gradually over the next two years went, went back up into the eighties, but that's sort of what happens as you get older with CF is you kind of get a new baseline, a new normal. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my lung function now is not what it used to be uh, when I was racing, but it's still very, very good. And um, so it's probably very high 80s, um, which, you know, is is great. Um, and yeah, so I mean, when we were scheduling this call, I said, oh, I have to do it after I do my nebulizer. So in the last, yeah. so this this summer, I started growing Pseudomonas again. And they actually don't want to put me on ciprofloxacin because of my Achilles. And so they, there's an antibiotic that you can um, breathe in. And so I have been doing that two times a day for the last two months. And wow. um, so that's sort of, you know, the repertoire now. But, um, uh, you know, I, I've, my good health it comes from the fact that I'm active. And it's ironic that my CF doctor, when I retired, she said, well, we expect your lung function to drop because you're not going to be pursuing high, high level sports anymore. Uh, and I remember when she said that, I'm like, oh, I will keep it high. I'm going to do intervals every other day. Yeah. And, and anyways, um, but you know, I've, uh, I had a collapsed lung a couple of years ago. And instead of them saying, okay, lay down in bed kind of thing, they were like, okay, go run as hard as you can. We've got to try to like open that lung up, you've got like a mucus block plugging it and wow. not letting the air in. And, you know, they basically gave me a week to try to get the plug, like there was just basically a plug in there of mucus, because that's what happens with CF. Um, we'll give you, you know, some some time to try to get it out yourself. And I couldn't get it out myself. And they actually had to manually go into in and take it out. Um, but um, yeah, but I mean, I really am super, super healthy. And yeah. Uh, I and and very very fortunate. I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, I I, I hear from people with CF and uh, that you know are going in and out of hospital. It's so they just you know it's called just the tune up. I haven't been in the hospital in over ten years, so I'm doing right. really well. <laughs> wow, you're amazing. What what did it feel like um, trying to run that the mucus plug out like into like how did it actually feel as an athlete who you know has functioned at 100% lung capacity to yeah. then try and you know run a mucus plug out of their system like what did that actually yeah. feel like yeah it was hard it was um you know not being able to talk and run like that's kind of you know when you right. feel that kind of level but you might not be running that hard mm. so I remember when it was happening because I <clears throat> like most of the things that have happened with my health, ironically, I've, uh, I've learned about because of sport. So back when I was getting mm. sick 10 years ago, 
I remember going to the doctor saying, I just don't feel well. I used to be able to do 75 straight fly butterfly in the pool and I can't anymore. I think there's something wrong. And sure enough, I was sick. And, and then right, yeah. when, the, when the mucus plug came to be, when I was, I, I was swimming and I, I noticed my arm was going numb and it ha- and I was going slow. Like I was like, wow, my base times are really off. This is where dad is good. And I'm like, yeah. wow, I'm not, I'm not coming in the same speed, but I'm working really hard and my arm's numb. And it, it kind of, I let it go for a day. And then the next day I went to my doctor and they did a um, CAT scan and that's how they found it. So, but in the meantime, I was coaching athletes and I took an athlete out for, you know, a six hour bike ride and I had a class long and I knew it. And basically I, the body's an incredible thing. So I would just over inflate the other lung, the other parts, compartments of my lung. And so even up to the day where I went and had the procedure to remove the plug, um, which is a form of a bronchoscopy. Uh, I said to the tech, because they sent me in for an x-ray first, I said, I'm pretty sure that the plug's gone. Like, I feel so good. And I and she, you know, she came back with the results and she said, nope, it's still there. Your other lungs are just taking the, you know, you're basically over inflating the tire on the other side. And, um, Far out. you know, so the body's an incredible thing. <laughs> uh, wow. But, um, and, you know, the ironic thing is when they did my lung function with the collapsed lung, it really hadn't gone down. So there's so many ways you can trick the body. It, mm. um, so, I mean, I just think doctors are incredible people. <laughs> like the, the stuff yeah. to deal with it. I mean, there's, you know, it's easy sometimes to criticize doctors. How did they not catch this or how did that happen? And I always say to people, you know, the, the human body isn't a textbook. Like they, they learn yeah. as much as they can, but every person is unique. I mean, if they had have diagnosed me by my lung function, they would have said, you don't have a collapsed lung, but you mm. know, you have a CAT scan and you see it. Or if they had asked again, if they had asked me uh, after a few weeks of having it, I was like, no, I feel fantastic. And then they do the CAT scan and sure enough, it's still bad. So mm. <clears throat> I just salute the doctors out there. <laughs> But I think, um, and this is again going full circle to the start of our conversation, is that doctor patient is is very similar to coach athlete. That they, they mm-hmm. can only sort of uh, tell so much by mm-hmm. their their knowledge. Uh, there needs to be a certain amount of, I guess, to an extent. And this doesn't cover all bases, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, to to an extent, to the person as well. And you've clearly learnt a lot about your body that you can recognise things before mm-hmm. perhaps a doctor can on a scan. Mm-hmm. And working together, you know, mm-hmm. you come to some kind of a solution as opposed to, you know, uh, potentially taking a lot of guesswork to get to that same solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, I mean, communication is just so important, whether it be you know, doctor, patient or athlete, mm. coach or husband, wife and yeah. parents and, kids. and you know, we're learning, you know, these last few months, communication is all we have. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of communication, I've taken up so much of your time and um, I know you're a busy woman. I would love to continue talking, but we do have to wrap things up. But I've got two questions. I want to uh, kind of like a little bit of a rapid fire question for okay. you, if that's okay if you're up for the task. (laughs) Okay, the first one, and we're trying some new ones in this episode. I I had a series of questions that I would always ask and I feel like it's time to mix it up. So I'm starting with with you as the guinea pig. (laughs) Um, When you think of the word successful, who is the first person who comes to your mind and why? 
Sir Frederick Banting. I've always said that because he found um, the cure for diabetes or insulin. And I just, uh, it was a, a childhood thing I learned. And I just thought, wow, he's just made a disease go away. What a successful person. What a hero. Oh, I love that. That's a great one. Great answer. Um, okay, what is something you believe that other people probably think is insane? Uh, I believe hmm, I, I believe that everything happens for a reason. So some people go, nah, you can control your destiny, but I, I just I, I believe that there's a purpose in everything. I like it. Okay, last mm-hmm. one. What is something you've changed your mind about in the last few years and why? Um, well, I guess this is, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, well, I always wanted to have a family and I wasn't able to have a family. And I think I finally realized that now that I'm 51 years old, that that's not in my cards. And, um, I've had four dogs and the first three dogs, I was their master. I was, you know, whatever, like they're trained. Like I'm, I love them, but I was never their mom. And people would say, Oh, Fenway's you're the Fenway's mom, but I was never mom to my three dogs. Well, then we got our little puppy a year and a half ago, Hadley. And Mm -hmm. I was her mom from the minute we picked her up because I think I finally realized I'm not going to be a mom to a two-legged little person so I will be a mom to my four-legged furry little person and I will wholeheartedly be their mom and basically when Hadley our one and a half year old pup uh, when she came home with us I put myself completely in that role I was getting up at two in the morning three in the morning so happily I was walking her at three thirty in the morning I was laying down on the you know, with her. And if she got up, I was like, Oh, she just might need a little something to eat. And basically, we were inseparable for, you know, the first four months of her life as I trained her. But um, yeah, I wholeheartedly called myself her mom. And, um, and yeah, that was a huge step for me. <laughs> well, that's made me feel very warm and fuzzy. Um, <laughs> but also, um, you know, and, and sad to hear that a family is something that you wanted and you realized that that wasn't on the cards. And I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well, everything happens for a reason. And I have just accepted that. And there's, um, you know, there's a role for me beyond being a parent of one or two children. Maybe I'm going to be, you know, I, I guess years ago when I was a teacher, I thought, well, I guess I'm going to be a parent to a classroom of 30 or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some other purpose and, you know, we don't know what it is. And, um, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to be the daughter I am to my 86 year old mother right now if I had, you know, a family of four, uh, because I'd be so involved in their lives that I might not have the time to be as involved in my mother's lives. But she needs me. And Mm -hmm. I have the time to be able to do that. Uh, So, so, you know, we just have to we do the best we can with our deck of cards at every time and um and yeah I mean there's no question that it's it's something that isn't easy but if it was meant to have happened it would have happened and we you know there's a lot of blessings I'm a very blessed and lucky person so I just uh I just thrive on that and I'll just get to spoil Frankie when I see her (laughs) Uh, she will be up for that for sure and 
I mean, I would like to speak on behalf of anyone who's listening that your your learnings that you're putting out there to the world um, are in some sort of way a great parental guide for anyone anyone listening. Um, so in whatever way you look at it, you are definitely um, helping people in some form or another. And I've said this twice already throughout this uh discussion you are 100% the person I needed to speak to today (laughs) so thank you so much for everything and I've really thoroughly enjoyed this chat thank you well you filled my heart as well so I'm glad you gave purpose to my day so thank you very much and thank you to all your listeners they're lucky to have you Oh, stop it. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, And I'm sure we're going to have to get you back on the podcast at some stage. There's there's still many more things to talk about, I feel. That would be great. I would love that. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Lisa. You take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment. And don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee deep in awesomeness. (laughs) 